Now I've deliberately left this topic to late in the series. I've done that for a couple of reasons. Often when people teach on gifts, they'll pick a passage like the one we just had read to us from Ephesians 4, and the people who are doing the teaching on this are pastor teachers. And so they tend to focus in on there, they tend to do it in a single sermon, and they tend to um, say, yeah, what we need is all the different gifts, Pastor teaching is so important because it's all about the Word of God coming to people's lives. Uh, there'll be a little reference at the end to, uh, and we need people to help out in the kitchen or on the rosters, and then the sermon's over. Now, I am deliberately stereotyping this for an obvious reason because that's what I'm trying to make a point around. But um, it's, it's, um, sadly, I've heard a lot of sermons like that. I think I preached one or two like that myself at an earlier stage. Um, now, why has it happened like this? And why is it I've been working on this series to, to put this at a much later point? It is because I want to do a little corrective in the way we think about what church is and about the leadership of church. And uh, the sermon that I preached a few um, ago in the series on apostleship and leadership will have given you some of the clues on that. If you don't remember, jump on the website, go back and re-listen to the, uh, the sermon. They're all there. Thank you very much for putting them up onto the, uh, onto the website. SomaBlueMountains.com there's a new website. Have you seen the website? Yep, good. It's there. It's all there. So um, jump on and have a look. Now, why has it happened that we have this kind of exaggerated description I've just given about the pastor teacher teaching about pastor teachers and focusing what most of the church happens to be about pastor teaching? My aim here is not to say that it doesn't matter. My aim is just to say it has to fit within the context of what the whole church is about. Why has it happened? Well, because church leadership is dominated by people with one particular gift, the pastor teaching gift. I'm going to explain a little more about that shortly, but this is the point. That our church um, training colleges are geared for people with that particular gift. Most of them are trying to select people who will be good as pastor teachers. So if the Bible colleges are selecting people like that, and then those people end up in leadership in the church, and then they're looking around for more people to replace them in leadership of the church, that's what tends to happen. We have a church dominated by people who have the gift of pastor-teacher. One of the things that we're trying to do at SOMA is to say, let's, let's keep the significance of pastor-teacher, but not make them the people who lead the church. Let's look around for people who will have more entrepreneurial capability people who have an apostolic gift. Let's see what the evangelists will contribute in the way the church will be led if evangelists are given a free run, etc., etc. And so what we're trying to do here, and by deliberately putting this, this topic right towards the back half of the series, is to just challenge the status quo, the way things have been for a couple of centuries. Now, there have always been entrepreneurial, apostolic-type people out there in church leadership but not as many as I think would be good for the church. What tends to happen when you have pastor teachers in the role of leadership is you tend to go into maintenance mode. You tend to have a church that is just doing much the same and if we increase 3% or 5% in our numbers and if we, we run a few more programs, we do a few more things, then that's a good outcome because we've chosen, institutionally, we've chosen a certain type of person to be the church leaders. And so... Um, our selection processes are designed for that uh, uh, gift set. The employment opportunities within church structures are designed for that gift set. That's a very significant thing. 
the employment security is bound up with that. In many churches, it's only the senior pastor who has security of tenure in their role. And the youth worker and the women's worker and the associate don't have a lot of security. And so employment opportunities and employment security are bound up with that. Now, this is just worth us reflecting on the way church functions, because what we're trying to do at Soma Blue Mountains is reinvent a whole stack of things, rethink it through. We don't think we've got the answers. We're trying to come up with answers. But one of the things that uh, we want to critique is this dominance of the church by this little uh, subset of what gifts there are, and that is pastor-teacher. Now, I want us to be able to focus on all those other gifts, and that's why we've had 10 sermons already on these other gifts, so that we give them their right status. That we don't just sort of say, the church is all about the Bible, therefore it's all about people who are teaching the Bible, and oh, and this other stuff happens too. It's just not how the Bible does it. And so we want to be very careful not to do that here. We want to make sure we give right honour to all God's gifts. And tonight we want to give honour and understanding to the pastor-teacher gift. But the reason it's in, the, in the, uh, the series in the place that it is is because of the things I've just been saying. So this is not to be rude to pastor-teachers. I think that's a gift I've got, so I don't want to be rude to me. Uh, I don't want to be rude to other people who have got the gift of pastor-teacher. That's not the point here. But I do want us to get good at thinking institutionally, thinking through how does an organisation function? How does a movement function? Because we're trying here in, in Soma Blue Mountains to be part of a broader movement that is actually going to do a whole lot more for the Lord. Uh, we're not the only ones trying to do that, of course. I think one of the things, just to, if I, before I move on and, and focus on and uh, really positively in terms of pastor-teacher, is um, one of the things I've become increasingly dissatisfied with the, the Bible colleges and churches here in Australia is as I travel around internationally and look at uh, the way Bible colleges function there and the way some of the churches function, so dynamic, so exciting just to stand in yet another new church being planted by a group. Now, this is not to put us down here or say God's working there, not here. But it is, I think, uh, fuel for me personally to start asking the question, what, are, what should we be doing differently here in Australia? How should we be functioning? And uh, in my own little small areas, I am trying to do some, uh, have some influence in the way some of the Bible colleges function. But uh, let's move on now. Let's focus then on this gift and uh, think, how do we value this? How do we uh, see its part in building up the body? Because the aim here is not to diminish it, but to put it in its context. The aim is not to say it doesn't matter or we shouldn't have it. It's vitally important, as we'll see. Let's now focus on it. So uh, these two words I'm going to kind of put together, pastor and teacher. The pastor word is actually the shepherd word. It's the person who uh, would be used in a very literal sense. The guy who sat out in the field was watching over some sheep or some goats, the shepherd. And it's been picked up through the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. That's kind of a verse. It's been picked up in the Bible to refer to God and then to God's leaders who, who uh, look after his people as, as a metaphor for tending the people of God. And then the word teacher, pretty obvious concept, though there are different ways people have taught in different uh, generations and in different cultures. But the idea of teacher of someone who knows something, they help others to know it. And there are different ways of doing that, of course. Some more informational, some more experiential, but the teacher is the one who shows what God's word is and the implications. 
systematically teaching the concepts. Now, I have combined the two words, and we're doing it as a single sermon. Why is that? Well, because uh, it's not just a convenience thing, but because of the text where this comes up, the one that we had read to us is Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so the gifts were, he gave some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek here, okay, it's very exciting. So next slide. Okay, what I've done is I've put the Greek down, but I've popped in some English words just so it's not completely bamboozling. And then I've got the English translation on the side. So in the Greek it says, and he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, gave two men apostles, Men is not the word men, but it means sort of, you you'd sort of translate it maybe on the one hand. And then you've got this structure. See the tus men apostles, tus de prophets, tus de evangelists? There's this little structure where you'd go, on the one hand, men, on the other hand, de. The problem is with this thing, there's four on the other hands. Uh, we don't have that many hands. So you've got to, you with me? Just cope with that. So what, what the structure is, two spent some, on the one hand, apostles, twos, some, on the other hand, prophets, twos, some, on the other hand, evangelists, if you had a third hand, twos, some, on the other, fourth hand, pastors and teachers. See, it's actually a different structure. He could have said in five sentences, or five uh, little, little phrases, he could have said two men apostles, two prophets, two evangelists, two pastors, two teachers. He didn't do that. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe there are five things being talked about here. Maybe there are four things and the last one's joined. My suggestion is that they're joined, but I'm not going to go to the stake for it, okay? So why have I put pastor teachers together? Because I think one of the things that's really important is that we remember that pastors, people who tend to the flock of God, do that tending primarily by teaching. And people who teach the word of God are pastoring the flock. So I think when the Apostle Paul was dictating this, he was going, yeah, now what is the foundation of the church? Well, it's Jesus Christ. And then beyond that, he rose and he gave these gifts. What were the gifts? Well, it was people. It was the apostles, it was the prophets. And some of the ones he gave, yeah, the evangelists. And some were the pastors and teachers. He said it as a, as a kind of a, a, a joined together concept. I think what we tend to do in our church experience is we say, oh, you know, that guy's a great teacher, he's a lousy pastor. Or that person, you know, just so warm and encouraging, a great pastor, but boy, you don't want to hear him in the pulpit. Uh, and so we've kind of divided these two things out where I'm going to suggest to you that in the Bible, in, in Paul's thinking, these two things sit together again and again. Because... You don't pastor someone unless you actually bring God's word to them. I want to suggest to you that instead of using pastor-teacher as different things, we start talking about the pastor-teacher role as a public role and a private role. Because some people are better at sitting in a lounge room with somebody and sharing the word of God and explaining the word of God. And we would call that usually, they're the pastor. But I want to say to you, they're the pastor-teacher who's really good in the private context. And then other people are really good in the public context. So they're in the pulpit, they're in the leader of the Bible study. They're the person who will systematically be taking that group through, teaching the word of God. But you see, the problem is if they're separate things, you end up in a big mess. 
You end up with pastors who are not ministering the word of God and you end up with teachers who don't care for the people, tend the flock of Christ. And yet the very thing that leaders of the church are to do is to do that. Pastors are, uh, teachers are to be pastors. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody preach and at the end of it you've gone, you know, what world are they living in? Might have been a great sermon at one level, but it doesn't touch me at all. Well, that's somebody who is a teacher but not pastoring and those things have got to go together. And the person who is out and visiting and caring for people but never brings the word of God into the conversation, never, never confronts the person with, with who God is for their life, they're hardly pastoring, they're hardly tending the flock of Christ. And so I want to put them together as I'm suggesting the apostle has done. Now, um, you will hear the phrase, the five-fold ministry. It's, it's used in lots of different places, <clears throat> not least among these Soma guys in Tacoma. I, I didn't actually raise this with Todd when he was out here. I should have done, I think, um, maybe another time. Uh, and in the Alan Hirsch stuff, we've been watching the videos. He's been talking about the five-fold ministry, and they've used this little A-P-E-S-T, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and because two Ps would be really messy, they've gone for shepherd, which is a fair translation, shepherd and teacher, so apest. And uh, they talk about these five ministries. I'm going to suggest to you, and again, won't go to the stake on it, not a huge deal, but we could talk about a fourfold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and shepherd teacher, which is, I think, what this passage is driving at. But not a huge deal. I just want to reinforce the point that the good pastor feeds the flock on the word of God. The, the, the food is God's word. And the good teacher is one who knows the people and one who ministers to the people through that public word. Now, if you've got the gift of pastor-teacher, then it's really important for you to have that clear in your mind so that you never just sit back as, oh, I'm a teacher, I'm just going to tell people concepts, ideas, uh, who cares what they do with them? I exaggerate, of course. Or if you're, you know, the person whose heart is moved with compassion for caring for somebody, but you never quite get to the point where you share the word of God for that person, where you help them understand how God's word is working and ought to be working in their life, then, then that's not pastoral care in a Bible sense. And that's why it's so important that we keep saying it's a pastor-teacher. Those two things, those two emphases have got to go there together. Just very quickly, I'm going to uh, move on. I sometimes spend a lot longer on this, but if God has got it, if this is a gift from God, let's have a look at the scriptures just very quickly, and then we'll move on to some other things. God is the great pastor-teacher. God is the one who, through the scriptures again and again, he speaks out his word, he cares for his people. He brings the word in the first place. That's the creative act, isn't it? And God spoke. And it was. Day by day by day, he spoke. It was. He spoke. It was. He's the one who creates our world through his word. In the Old Testament, we see again and again God speaking out. Thus says the Lord. I, I did a quick check. Over 400 times, thus says the Lord. God wants his word amongst his people. His, his word is what brings life to them brings instruction, understanding, direction, brings care ultimately. And of course, he is the one who is the great shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. Ultimately, it is God. The, the human shepherds fail, those pastors fail. But God says, like Ezekiel 34, I will bring it. 
in Jesus' ministry, we see this same thing. There's one passage that talks about the compassion of Christ. And he sees the people and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then another place he calls himself the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then there's a passage in, uh, in Mark's gospel where here's the one who teaches with authority. People are staggered by it. My goodness, look at how he speaks. Because he speaks with God's authority. Takes that authority onto himself. So we see God as the one who has this pastor-teacher role in our lives, in the church. And then he gives that gift to some here on earth. But as we've seen also, uh, everybody's to be uh, pastor-teachers in some form or other. Uh, the very concept in, in Matthew's gospel, the very end, uh, go and make disciples. Make disi that requires pastoring and teaching. And since the task is not just for the apostles, but we're all caught up in that apostolic ministry, so to each of us are to have a role. You know, just imagine there's a person in your uh, live group comes along and they're interested to learn more about God and, and it falls to you to be the person who says, oh, well, let's go and read some Bible together. That's a pastoral ministry, pastor-teacher ministry. Very appropriate for all of us to do that. Now, it might be that that's not your strength, but you can't avoid it at some point. You become a parent and your role is to be a pastor-teacher. You, you have a, a children that you've got to raise in the knowledge of the Lord. That classic passage in Deuteronomy 6 where God gives the Shema, the, the great word to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You're going to teach it to people. See these verses? Recite them to your children and talk about them. It, it's not just a rote learn thing. Though. That's not a bad idea. Rote learn some Bible verses. But talk about them. Yeah, see son, this is how it applies. This is what it means to put God first in your life. You know, we were down the market and I didn't lie about how old my uh, cabbages were. Why did I not lie? It's because I put God first. Talk about it. Uh, there's a really interesting passage in Titus, where um, Titus 2, where the older women are told they must teach. They're to teach the younger women in particular. Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. Gee, there's some practical stuff there, isn't it? They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands so that the word of God may not be discredited. We're all called at some point or other to be pastor teachers. But some of us have got the gift. Some have the gift. How critical that gift is to the body. When you look at that Ephesians passage, there are those gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. They are the, the kind of originating group of gifts that then equip all the other gifted ones. They're the ones who then are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So if you don't have those gifts functioning, the church somehow becomes really weird. It becomes not the mature body that is spoken of later in that chapter. And so we must guard this gift. We must guard it and take it seriously. The word of God must be taught. It must be taught publicly. It must be taught privately. The very phrase that Paul used when he was in tears saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Remember how I went house to house and taught publicly? He was a pastor teacher. That's what he did. He had the gift both private and public teaching and pastoring. Where prophecy is applying to the moment, the word of God, the systematic teaching of the word of God is just critical. To work through so people get the big backdrop of what their lives are to be. 
And what happens when the scriptures are taught well, and they're taught in that sort of systematic, clear way, is people can frame their understanding of the world with God clear in the picture. Now, it won't answer every question that they've got. They've got to then go off and work that out. And prophets are there to speak in and, and various other things we've been talking about. But to have this clear understanding of how God is and wants us to be is the task of the pastor teacher. The scriptures are fascinating in themselves. I, I can sit down very happily and read the book of Leviticus and wonder what on earth's going on in some of those passages. I find it really fascinating. Uh, most people who are pastor teachers do find that sort of stuff fascinating. Not everybody will. The scriptures are fascinating in themselves, I would suggest to you, and the pastor teacher has got a task to reveal that. But then step back from just what is fascinating in itself to ask the question, what is it that will be shepherding God's people? How is it we'll help everybody to understand those things? One of the key little verses that pastor teachers love is the idea of teaching the whole counsel of God. Do you know that phrase out of Paul's writing? The whole counsel of God. Now, when people have other gifts, part of that whole counsel is to help them be equipped with the understanding of the scriptures they need for that gift. We all need that sort of encouragement, that sort of insight. We need correction from the word. We need perspective on our world. We need the scriptures taught to us so that we have a basis for meditation. I just want to take one little moment and encourage you to biblical meditation. Um, this, is, this is so under-practiced in, in our church that we need it more and more. The idea that you think upon a concept or a verse or even a few ideas in the scriptures and you just come at it from all different angles. That's the Bible idea of meditation. In Psalm 119, I will meditate on your word day and night. Everywhere I am, I'm going to meditate. The idea is that you take that concept. Okay, if that's the concept from the word of God, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for them? What does it mean for yesterday? What does it mean for tomorrow? To spend time on the word of God meditating. And when we're taught well, when the pastor teachers are doing their job, then we have, we have the, the grist for the mill of meditation. We have an understanding. We go, oh, I see now. What would that mean in relation to the ministry of Jesus? What would that mean in, in that other verse that I read in Galatians? And we put those things together. That's to meditate. I want to encourage you to take the word of God and be meditators on it. And then the uh, scriptures will be fulfilled more and more within your own life and understanding. Very quickly then, we have a shadow side. All the gifts have got a shadow side. Um, one of the problems with pastor teachers is that they think that you have to understand it all in order to live a Christian life. It's just a little error that we can make sometimes. That you have to have knowledge of everything before you can answer one thing. And that's just not how life is actually lived. You don't have to have done a degree in theology to be able to be a faithful Christian person. Isn't that good news? <laughs> of course. And yet it can sometimes be that shadow side of the pastor teacher. There can be sometimes what I call an overzealous heresy spotting uh, where, you know, unless you line up everything exactly how I understand it, then you're outside the word of God, you're outside of the will of God. Uh, that leads, of course, to an arrogance. Now, the importance of getting our doctrine right, getting the scriptures rightly understood, is their task. And so this is where a, um, a careless or a hard heart is joined with that task. And then the other thing that can happen is the tendency towards um, the cognitive part of the faith. What you understand rather than how you live. And there's a shadow side there that the emphasis is put on that. 
Well, let me just finish then by saying that there is this wonderful gift that God has given the pastor-teacher, and, and they are in our midst, and we ought to value them, and like all the gifts, appreciate the contribution they make towards growing us to be a mature body, because the Word of God is taught by the pastor-teachers. And as we look at that, those who have not got that gift, we go, wow, isn't that great the way they do that? Just like all the other gifts, we stand back and we say, the way they do that is so helpful. We give thanks to God and we applaud. Say, thank you, Lord, for what you've given to your body. Time to pray.